Today on Ag News Daily. Whenever we talk about any aspect of corn or beans, especially after kind of runoffs we've had lately, I, I try to look at it both from a hedging perspective, like you're talking, and you know, producers, everybody wants to talk about the speculative part of things. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr, joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, it's certainly been a Monday for me. It's been pretty crazy this morning trying to play a little bit of catch-up as I was a little sick over the weekend, but it has been a crazy morning. I almost missed our market Monday call with Matt Bennett, which we will get into here in a moment, but I have definitely been wacky this morning. Yeah, it's been a little wacky here myself at home we're getting uh, some winter weather again wintry mix a lot of snow probably a little ice i'm working from home today so that's always doesn't help the motivation coupled with this uh stinky weather we're having so but on, the, on a positive note at least markets uh were mostly higher today across the grain complex so we've got a good discussion coming up with matt bennett here in just a little bit to talk about those moves We certainly do, Delaney. But before we get into that, I need to know if you're a fan of Chipotle. Um, Okay, well, I guess I've had Chipotle maybe three times in my life. It was okay. It makes me a little nervous to eat there after all of the, uh, like, foodborne illness cases I've seen or, like, you know, E. coli, salmonella, et cetera. I've seen a lot of cases and outbreaks due to Chipotle facilities. So I typically tend not to opt to eat there. Okay. See, I'm I'm really glad that you said that because I'm not a fan of Chipotle. I, I have never even eaten there, but they have kind of bashed on American agriculture in the yeah, past. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I don't want to support personally a company like that. So I have steered clear of Chipotle. But I have some news concerning the restaurant. They are featuring their first ever Super Bowl commercial in the second quarter of the game between Kansas City and Tampa Bay. And I will just go ahead and say, go Chiefs. I watched the ad myself. And it features a young boy holding a big old Chipotle burrito asking if the burrito could change the world. It goes on to talk about if it could change carbon emissions, water conservation, transportation, and even if it could make a farmer happier. And now I've, like I said, never been a big fan of Chipotle because of the other campaigns that they've had bashing American agriculture, contradicting themselves on the products they sell. And like you said, Delaney, just the amount of foodborne illnesses that have been transmitted in Chipotle restaurants. And they are an anti-GMO company, even though a lot of GMOs are designed with bettering the ag industry and the land in mind. But either way, besides the ad, Chipotle is offering a special on game day, which is February 7th. The restaurant is donating $1 from every delivery order to the National Young Farmers Coalition and is pledging $5 million over the next five years to help remove barriers and enable the next generation of farmers and ranchers to succeed. So even though I'm not really Chipotle's biggest fan, I might just have to order a burrito next week, not for them, but to support the next generation. But a lot of folks are asking if it's just a little too late for them to kind of be making this effort to support the ag industry after all it's done to kind of harm it, I guess. Not harm it, but... No, I mean, 
they've ta- definitely taken their shots at ag. So I, I'm there with you. I, I get what you're pointing at. The one positive I guess I've seen is they have done some campaigns. They've paired up with Nyman Ranch, which is kind of a free range, smaller hog system uh, that my family actually used to raise for. So they have done some things on that front. Uh, I think they're trying to make a comeback. But yes, the question is, you know, is it too late? I don't know. We'll see what uh, the American farmer says. We could put a poll out, Ashton, if not uh, to see what people are thinking. But I'm glad you mentioned the Chiefs. They're heading to the Super Bowl. I am also a Chiefs fan. It'd be awesome if they won two years in a row. So go Chiefs to all of our sports fans out there. But I want to switch tracks here just a little bit because, as I mentioned, we're getting some pretty cold, crappy weather here across most of Iowa, if not especially in the southern portion of the state. And it seems that a lot of the northern hemisphere is going to be dealing with some weather issues here for the next foreseeable future. Uh, More specifically, You know, as we talk about global supplies when it comes to soybeans, we could see that revised down further due to a deep freeze going on in North America. This is being caused by a polar vortex disruption where we're seeing cold air from the Arctic escape into the northern hemisphere. I think that's what we're going through a little bit right now here in Iowa, at least. And so while the main portion of our planting season obviously begins in May, the current cold conditions are expected to continue impacting into planting season. They're saying that the freezing of rivers and lakes could result in flooding this spring as it did in 2019. I really hope we don't see that happen because 2019 was really, really poor flooding for a big swath of the Midwest and Upper Plains. Uh, But analysts and meteorologists are already concerned that we could see that impact into planting season. We also could see U.S. corn get hit by flooding more so than soybeans as their planting season starts earlier. So we're already seeing tight supplies. We're seeing weather issues going on right now in Brazil and Argentina. Now folks are thinking that perhaps we're going to have some pretty Uh, long-term weather effects here in the United States as well. And uh, finally, as we look at our wheat producers, the Arctic air, this polar vortex, is also pushing some cold air into Russia and is raising concerns about the risk of winter kill for their winter wheat system, their winter wheat product. And uh, Russia is the world's third largest producer of winter wheat. And they've so far had a warm winter, but they're saying this continued cold air might be what we need to see a global weather issue here from you know 29 excuse me 2020 heading into 2021 so definitely a lot to think about from a marketing perspective and that's going to impact a lot of people's bottom lines but hopefully in a good way as long as you're able to take advantage of these potential weather issues that could be looming you know delaney it just Never fails to amaze me the things that we're able to predict based off of the weather. When I was talking to Jim Romer last week, he mentioned, you know, that there was going to be some bad weather, a storm coming through Lubbock. And I looked on my weather app. There was nothing in sight. And then last night we actually did get a thunderstorm. So, you know, he was on top of it. And anyways, but I just thought that that was that was pretty cool. And I wanted to add that in there. But you mentioned Argentina. So I want to take things there. Talking about the trucker strike, 
delivery of grains and oil seeds to Argentine export hub Rosario was slowly returning to normal earlier today after a week of protests by truckers who blocked the roads leading from the farm belt to the port. And I believe you mentioned this last week, Delaney, but drivers are demanding a review of their costs, including tolls, insurance rates, taxes, and fuel prices. They were scheduled to meet with Sergio Massa, president of the lower house of Congress, to discuss their demands while the government news site Talam reported a delay in a proposed fuel tax increase. Both gestures appeared to help calm the tensions, although the protests continued in areas outside of Rosario. Only 1,500, a little over 1,500, 1,524 trucks entered port facilities earlier today, which is down from 2,224 on the same day in 2020. But they are hoping, them being, you know, the government, the ports are hoping that things begin to normalize this week. But it's just something that time will tell. Yeah, another thing. That only time will tell, Ashton, is how quickly China can repopulate their African, or excuse me, can repopulate their hog herd after African swine fever. Uh, We know that China's hog herd may be well on track to recover this year, but some recent estimates put out by analysts are saying that they're having much higher demand seasonally for slaughter-ready pigs before their Lunar New Year Festival starts here, I think, within the next week or two. I think it usually starts around the 1st of February. In 2020, we saw Chinese producers produce about 623 million hogs, a 46% jump from 2019, but still well below pre-ASF times. So analysts are watching closely to see how quickly China can rebuild this hog herd. And not only that, but like I mentioned, this new Lunar New Year celebration that they're heading into is a big celebration, not only for Chinese consumers, but also Vietnamese and other Asian countries. And this is a time of year when they consume a lot of pork. That would slow down the number of hogs they have ready to go to market. And so that's a fundamental factor that it seems many analysts are going to be paying close attention to here moving forward. Not only that, but China's pork price remains abnormally high relative to other levels internationally, including the U.S., Australia, and other countries, um, including not only pork prices, but also beef prices are about one and a half times higher than they usually are for this time of year. Pork prices are anywhere from you know, two to three to four times higher than where they were, I guess, compared to 2018, before we saw African swine fever cause a pork shortage, most specifically in their country. So, again, a couple long-term fundamental factors that I think the trade is considering. You know, it's hard to say, looking at prices today, that the protein markets were trading on that news. But long term, it does seem that there are some bullish factors that will play out into the markets, hopefully sooner rather than later. But when when exactly time will tell. But Ashton, I tell you what, that's the only other piece of news I had to mention today. What about you? Well, I just have one other thing, and we might be experiencing a chicken and egg shortage other than a pork pork shortage. Sweden will cull around 1.3 million chickens after bird flu was found on a farm in the southwest of the country. 
The H5N5 variant of bird flu was discovered at Sweden's biggest egg producer near the town of Monstersus on January 18th. Now, I have been reporting about countries experiencing the variant of H5N8, and I believe H5N6, I can't recall. But now we're seeing H5N5, and it's just continuing to run rampant through the these foreign countries. And we're seeing different varieties of it, and I'm not exactly sure, you know, how that translates, but doesn't sound good from what we've been hearing. No, it certainly doesn't. So it sounds like all protein industries, really, there could be some turbulence ahead. Maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll be bad. Only time will tell. But in the interim, we do know how commodities changed and closed for today. Ashton, what do you say? Let's get into it, Delaney. All right. Well, after Friday's hard sell-off in the grain markets, it's maybe a little too early to call it a reversal for sure, but that is what it's pointing to in the grain markets. March corn today closed up 11 cents to end at 5.11 and a half. The May up 11 and a quarter to close at 5.14 and a quarter. In soybeans, the March contract up 31 and three quarters cents to close at 13.43 and a half. Not quite back to levels we saw pre-last week. May, however, closed up 31 cents to end at 13.42 and three quarters. Wheat also higher in the day today as the Chicago March contract up 14 cents to close at 6.48 and a half. The May up 13 to close at 6.49. Now in livestock, not quite as much green on the screen. A little bit of a mixed trade today in the cattle complex as we saw the February contract shedding 20 cents to close at 116.52. The April up 42 to close at 122.95. And in feeders. March shedding 30 cents today to close at 143.85. The April up 12.5 cents to close at 146.25. Lean hogs higher today as the February contract added 70 cents to close at 70.62. The April up 47.5 to close at 76.62. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. February down 44 cents to close at 16.02. The March down 48 to close at 17.06. Without further ado, let's kick it over to Mike conversation with Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Well, we are joined for today's Hashtag Market Monday episode by Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. It was a much uh, much better day to start the week than what we had to finish the week there last week. So um, nice little recovery we had. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. I texted you on Friday to get you on the podcast and it was not looking too pretty. So I'm glad we've got some green on the screen today. But Matt, I think the big question is, you know, did we put in the lows for a while? Was last week's bloodbath the lows we're going to see for some time being? You know, you would have to think so. I mean, whenever you look at this market, you know, essentially what we did was we uh, we lost over a dollar, buck oh five, in lead month March futures last week. <clears throat> so a lot of folks were thinking, oh gosh, you know, this market's over with. But you know, uh, I understand from a technical perspective, uh, a lot of people uh, could, could take a look at this and say, hey, we're breaking through some of our support levels. But you know, at the same time, you got to look at the fundamental side of things as well. And uh, you know, that's where I typically hang my hat. And I would say with carryout levels uh, currently projected, you know, in that uh, 145 uh, range, 140, uh, you know, 3.1% stocks use ratio is scraping to the bottom of the barrel. And so, uh, you know, if you end up with a situation uh, where you continue to see exports, and we had great export sales last week, 
uh, my thoughts are you're going to have to turn this carry out again in the month of February. So um, I, I guess the, the uh, meat and potatoes to the whole thing, in my opinion, is that uh, this is a tight situation that's not going to get a whole lot better anytime soon. And so while you need pullbacks, you need washouts at times, if you're going to still march on higher, it's pretty tough to get too down on this market, uh, given the kind of tightness that we see moving ahead. Yeah, I agree. But I think after last week, there were a lot of farmers that were questioning, you know, should I be making cash sales? Have I missed the boat? Let's talk corn here specifically. Uh, where do you think I should be sitting for 2021 crop, corn crops sold if they haven't made any sales yet or they're looking to take advantage of these higher prices? You know, is now a good time to make those sales or are you thinking that we've got enough uh gas left in the tank that eh, I'd hold off a little bit longer. Well, <clears throat> I think it, whenever we talk about any aspect of corn or beans, especially after the kind of runoffs we've had lately, I, I try to look at it both from a hedging perspective, like you're talking and, you know, producers, everybody wants to talk about the speculative part of things. We got to make sure as farmers though, that we're being careful not to be speculators. And so uh, the thing that you need to do, in my opinion, is you need to take a strong look, you know, at, at what these price levels mean for your operation. And so we close right at just a shade under 435. Uh, you know, but the, the exciting thing for me is that, you know, most producers pretty much have to buy crop insurance. And so we're looking at crop insurance prices that are likely to be the best we've seen in seven or eight years. And so, you know, if that's the case, uh, I've got to think that uh, the smartest thing for us to do uh, is to sell some insured bushels. Now, my team's at around 30% on both new crop corn and beans, and, you know, and a couple of those sales were uh, uh, under where we're at today uh, on corn and one was above. Whereas on beans, I think we've got one sale that's around where we're at now and a couple of them were a fair amount above this, but it was pretty hard not to make sales at those levels. And so, uh, you know, as producers, I think that the smart thing for us to do once again you look at your profit margins, uh, you look at this in black and white, don't try to get wrapped up on, you know, how much higher can this market go later? Because if you're only selling 30% of your APH, then chances are you're going to have quite a bit more that you can sell later on if this market rallies on higher. Yeah. And I think that always poses the question too, you know, are folks, should folks be better marketers when there are, uh, less profit margins or more? Because I think folks get into a dangerous situation when they think, oh, you know, corn and soybeans are going higher. I'm not ready to make any sales yet. And then that kind of bites them in the butt, so to speak. But uh, Matt, as you look at the corn and soybean mix, it's hard to believe that we're already talking about acreage, but I've seen some estimates thrown around on Twitter and otherwise. Uh, what do you think we're going to see for a breakdown this year once the planter gets a roll in? Yeah, that, and that's a great question. And I've been saying here for a while, as soon as we got past the January report, you know, most of the focus is going to shift towards this acreage discussion. You know, you get into February and that price level for no beans and these corn certainly is going to tell part of the tale because of the revenue guarantees that producers be able to lock in. And so my personal opinion on acreage, you know, I saw one last week that was 94 and change and a shade over 90 on beans. Something like that as far as total acreage is certainly something that I could see happening, that 184, even 185 total corn and bean acres. I think the thing to remember, though, whenever we look over, for instance, at another market like the wheat market, you know, where you've got uh, well above $6 pretty much, uh, you know, across the board here, and you've got 
uh, the cotton market at $80 a ton. I think some of your fringe acres, you're going to have a hard time maybe prying away uh, corn and bean acres. Yes, we've got profit margins there, but we've also got crops people like to plant in some of these fringe acres uh, that are actually quite profitable as well. So uh, 85 uh, or uh, 185 is probably believable. Uh, but right now, me personally, I'm probably more in line with this thing could come up equal, you know, where we see uh, maybe 92 of each or 92 and change of each. It wouldn't surprise me one bit because uh, when you look at the ratio area there in Iowa, it's pretty well known that most a lot of producers are going to be growing a heck of a lot heavier bean rotation uh, due to what they went through and, and the agronomics of the situation. First of all, but second of all, you know, profit margins on soybeans have been pretty salty the last few years. In the state of Illinois alone, uh, there's parts uh, of the state, you know, according to Farm Doc, that you know, looking at seven or seven uh, out of eight years where soybean profitability has been a little bit better than corn, and so uh, you've got to take a look at those things and think that soybean acreage, especially when you're staring, even after a big drop in the market. 11.30 beans in the face for next fall, basis support. That's a pretty good place to be uh, making money as far as soybeans are concerned. Yeah, it certainly is. But I think that also poses the question, what are we going to see happen here as we do see a pretty good spread between the front month contracts and new crop in soybeans? I mean, there's almost a $2 premium built into these first couple of months here of the marketing year compared to new crop. Are we going to see, what are we going to see have happen here? It, that, that's a great question and a great point that we can make is that, you know, as a producer, Delaney, if you're sitting here looking at 1340 on the board or, you know, 1350, wherever, 1342 and three quarters, I guess, on the May beans today, and you compare that to 1130 and a quarter on November beans, your first thought is, why would I sell beans, you know, whenever old beans are $2 and change higher? And I understand that mentality. Uh, but at the same time, I think a producer has to pay attention to what does 1130 mean for me and my operation. Now, let's get to the question that you asked. You know, what's going to happen as far as that spread's concerned, the big inverse in the market? And I think what we've got to understand is that if we continue to see these exports, uh, if they continue to happen, uh, it'll depend upon what we see in Brazil and, and, and Argentina. We do know that. But at the same time, China has had an insatiable appetite for soybeans. Uh, these last several months. We know that they're rapidly expanding pork production. Uh, you know, my gut feeling is that this cash market is going to be pretty tight and it's going to be fairly hot. And I do think uh, we're going to be running ourselves out of beans here in the U.S., I guess is my opinion. I, I'm not so sure that we'll have enough beans to get the next harvest. And I could see us importing some beans and some soybeans, especially in the Southeast Coast. So with that being said, this inverse in the market, in my opinion, is probably going to stay where it's at, if not possibly grow. And so uh, what's going to happen as far as new crop prices, if we go up another dollar or two again here on uh, old crop beans, yeah, I think that you'll come up some, but not near as much. You're not going to come penny for penny. And I think that gap could grow even more. Matt, I want to switch tracks here and talk livestock real quick. I've been getting a lot of cattle farmers that have asked questions, you know, are we going to be able to make money this year? What's going on? What's your outlook for the cattle markets long term? And, you know, the price of corn is definitely putting some pressure, especially on the feeder cattle side of it. What hope is there out there? What good news, what positive news is there out there for livestock producers, more specifically cattle producers? 
Well, I think the good news is when you look on after your deferred months, you know, you're up over $120 cattle. Uh, we closed the day on the Dece there at 123.80. I've been saying for quite some time, I thought the third and fourth quarters that you'd be looking at uh, really good cattle prices just due to the fact that placements were pretty low here, uh, you know, and, and so you would, you'd have less supply available. These first couple of quarters, we know that we're chewing through big weights and big supply, uh, but you know, you just look after April and we're already up to that 123 level. So, you know, I do think that if it's going to be a situation where a producer can still make some money, the main thing has, is, as always, is, is hedging both sides of things though. And I think as a producer, you've got to be very cautious as to assume that corn prices, even though they look awfully high right now, aren't going to go higher. Um, you know, I'm not saying that I want to be wildly bullish old crop corn, but I think that, uh, you know, it's something I guess we didn't touch on a whole lot yet. But I, I do think that you're going to see exports on corn continue to get bigger. Uh, I think that carryout's going to get smaller. And so I, I think you could see some interesting price levels on cash corn as well. So, you know, as a, as a cattle producer, I got to be very careful as to make assumptions on my feed costs uh, moving ahead. I think that you can make money right now. Uh, spot in both, but the same th- at the same time, we got to be careful uh, not to lock in one too much of one side, not you know enough of the other. Yeah, absolutely. And it always amazes me too, you know, for cattle guys that maybe don't do livestock. I talk to a lot of them that don't protect risk on the corn or the feed side of things, and I don't really understand the reason behind it. Maybe it's just you know not understanding how to do that. But I think that's an important thing to consider right now is too is uh like you said not getting yourself locked into both sides but matt before i let you go what's your long-term or short-term outlook here for the lean hog market oh you know it's a little tougher call for me on hogs i mean i guess the thing for me whenever i look for instance, you, you still got pretty good carry in the market. It looks like a healthy market. Uh, you know, your front months, you know, you're in the 70s still. And then you get on out here, for instance, to August, $87 hogs. I have a hard time getting bullish there. Uh, my, my personal opinion is, uh, you know, as far as those deferreds go, if you're someone that can lock in something like that, I know there's a lot of contract production out there, but if you're an independent uh, $87 hogs for me is, is just an awfully good place uh, uh, to make pretty good money. I'm not saying we can't go up more, but I'm I'm not bullish at this level right now. All right. Well, Matt, before I let you go, I know we kind of had to do a quick gloss over of all the topics, but you cover these more in depth every day with agmarket.net and some of the commentary that you're writing. Share with our listeners how they can tune in with you if they've, they'd like to hear more of what you're saying and sharing. Yeah, I mean, the easiest thing is just to go to agmarket.net. We've got a great website there where they can get a hold of me or any of the guys that I work with. Got really good analysis, uh, you know, and then some good technology, too, that they can put to use. So agmarket.net, there on the web, best place to get a hold of me. Fantastic. Well, Matt Bennett of agmarket.net, thanks so much for joining today. Well, again, a big thank you there to Matt for joining us to talk markets today. Always a lot to talk about, especially right now when markets are moving and trading. Things have been pretty volatile lately, but... 
that can make for some exciting times in the market as long as you're on the right side of that trade. But Ashton, I tell you what, we're always talking about exciting topics and things that are moving the markets as well as just interesting people and businesses going on in the business of agriculture. You can check out any of our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com or connect with us on social media at agnewsdaily. Ashton, with that, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go.